Hey, I'm Andy. I'm Andy. And you're listening to the HMO Podcast. Over 10 years ago, I set myself the challenge of building my own property portfolio. And what began as a short-term investment plan soon became a long-term commitment to change the way young people live together. I've now built several successful businesses, I've raised millions of pounds of investment, and I've managed thousands of tenants. Join me and some very special guests to discover the tips, tricks, and hacks, the ups and the downs, the best practice, and everything else you need to know to start, scale, and systemize your very own HMO portfolio. Now. Fire risk assessment, not the sexiest topic I know, but an important one nonetheless. If you're buying HMOs, perhaps you already own HMOs, well, you need to be thinking about these. Have you already done them? Do you own HMOs and perhaps you haven't already done them? Hmm, maybe you should. Perhaps you're thinking about doing some fire risk assessments, but you're thinking about doing them yourself to save a bit of cash. I get it. There's a lot of ifs and what's and buts, a lot of stuff that isn't clear when it comes to fire risk assessments and the legislation surrounding this sort of stuff. So today I want to bottom a bit of this out. And what I want to do is give you an example of one I recently did on one of my large properties. So dry as it may sound, I promise this will be an interesting and useful exercise if you're investing in HMOs. So don't go anywhere. And please enjoy today's episode of the HMO podcast. Hey guys, it's Andy here. We're going to be getting back to the podcast in just a moment. But before we do, I want to tell you very quickly about the HMO Roadmap. Now, if you're serious about replacing your income, or perhaps you've already got a HMO portfolio that you want to scale up, then the HMO Roadmap really is your one-stop shop. Inside the Roadmap, you'll find a full 60-lesson course delivered by me, teaching you how to find more deals, how to fund more deals and raise private finance, how to refurbish great properties, how to fill them with great tenants that stay for longer, and how to manage your properties and tenants for the future. We've also got guest workshops added every single month. We've got new videos added every single week about all sorts of topics. We've got downloadable resources, cheat sheets, and swipe files to help you. We've got case studies from guests and community members who are doing incredible projects that you can learn from. And we've also built an application just for you that allows you to appraise and evaluate your deals, stack them side by side, and track the key metrics that are most important to you. To find out more, head to the hmoroadmap.co.uk now and come and join our incredible community of HMO property investors. Welcome back to the podcast. So today we're going to talk about fire risk assessments. I know, I know, I know, I know. Not the most exciting topic in the world, not the sexy stuff, but it's really important. I want to make sure that you understand what your obligations are. I want to help you understand what you actually need to do. And while this can be a bit complicated and a bit daunting and leave a lot of people scratching their head, it really doesn't need to be. And what I'm going to do is give you an example of one of mine. I've actually got it up on the screen in front of me. So you might hear a bit of clicking in the background, a bit of scrolling, but that's what I'm doing. I'm actually going to be looking at my fire risk assessment that I recently did on one of my large buildings. So let's not mess around. Let's get into this. What the hell is a fire risk assessment? Well, it's literally that, a fire risk assessment. It's an assessment that we do on a building, on a property to determine and therefore manage the risk of a fire and what would be done in the event of a fire. And we're really looking for methods of reducing that risk as much as we possibly can. And there are a variety of ways that we could do that. And I'm going to cover some of them in today's episode. Now, I'm not just talking about the obvious stuff like fire alarms and emergency lights and fire doors. You know, that's the obvious stuff. You know, this is HMO licensing stuff. This is the stuff that we know unquestionably needs to be done. 
This, the fire risk assessment, is a little bit more complicated. There's more detail involved. And that is what I want to talk to you about in today's episode. So first of all, do we need to do a fire risk assessment? (sighs) It's a good question. And honestly, the answer is a little bit grey. Now, if you are a HMO license holder, if the particular property in question is licensed, then I will almost guarantee that in the conditions, buried in the conditions of your HMO license, you will find the requirement to have done a fire risk assessment. And that fire risk assessment needs to have been done by a competent individual. We're going to come back to that piece in a moment. Do you need it if you don't need a license? Do you need it for single lets and other types of property? A little bit more complicated. Fire risk assessments and fire management and health and safety is actually covered by lots of different types of legislation because, of course, a fire could be started because of an electrical issue. It could be a gas issue. It could be to do with something else entirely. And the legislation and things like the guidance and the cause is actually drawn from different types of guidance. Basically, the cause is is consolidated guidance from lots of pieces of legislation, which is in one part why the cause is a little bit complicated and confusing in itself. And it's why the answers to these questions like, do I need a fire risk assessment, are quite complicated and a little bit grey. If you don't know what the cause is, by the way, that is a document, the cause document, that is used as almost the, the framework to determine the fire safety regulations in HMOs in, in the UK. So, and you can go and download a copy of that online. We've actually got a copy inside the HMO roadmap if you want to go and grab it. It's a really useful document, particularly when it comes to understanding where you need fire alarms and the type of fire alarm systems you need and the types of doors and fire doors you need and how that is different depending on the number of floors you've got on your HMO and the types of tenants, whether you've got students or professionals or the cohesive and non-cohesive. So I don't want to go down that tangent, but that's kind of what the cause is. And the fire risk assessment is referenced in the cause. And I, like I said, I suspect you'll probably find that a fire assessment is one of the requirements of your HMO license. And interestingly, I did speak to somebody recently in Bristol, and they said that it isn't actually covered off in any of the conditions in their HMO license, but it was something that their lender asked for. And I can almost guarantee that if you delved into the conditions of your insurance, and you'll probably find that there is a requirement to have done a fire risk assessment in there. I, I don't know for sure, haven't even gone through my own, but I just do them. So look, in all honesty, you probably do need to do them. And even if you don't have a licensed HMO, it's definitely a good thing to do it. And let's just be really candid about this. If the worst happened and there was a fire in one of your properties and something terrible happened and you hadn't done one and there were things that would have potentially been picked up on a fire risk assessment that ultimately weren't done and then something terrible happened and and someone was hurt in one of your houses as a result of a fire, where do you think that that book stops? What is the insurance company going to say about that? What is the court going to say about that if somebody sues you? That's the backstop, really. At the end of the day, this is your responsibility. You're the landlord. You can't pass the book on this stuff. And that's why my suggestion to you is, even if you can't see it clearly documented anywhere, that you should do this, you should just do it. Now, this virus assessment that I'm going to talk to you about, I did it on one of my large buildings. It's actually a 24-bed building. It's split into four flats and each flat is a HMO. So I've got, I think, two six beds in there and two five beds in there. So it's quite a, you know, a reasonably sized building. There is a communal stairway at the front and there's also a second stairway 
out of the back. They're essentially escape routes. It's on three floors, so give you an idea of the building. And actually, it is, it's not the most straightforward arrangement. It is a little bit complicated, the arrangement. The stairwell, the main stairwell, is actually quite wide. It's quite a commercial staircase, so it is quite wide. But hopefully that gives you an indication off the bat of the type of building that we're looking at. So, like I said, I've got a fire risk assessment up in front of me. Now, let's just circle back to something I mentioned a moment ago. These need to be done by a competent individual. Now, I don't even know what the definition of a competent individual is when it comes to fire risk assessments. I guess someone who really understands this sort of subject. And I think that this is where one of the immediate hurdles presents itself. A lot of people think that because it's their building and you know you can just kind of get a template offline, then they are competent to go and do a fire risk assessment. And trust me, if you haven't already done one, if you haven't seen a fire risk assessment, then I think you would immediately see that you are probably not competent to do this. Now, I get these back and I'm always a bit anxious when I get these back because there's always things that we're pulled up on, little things, stuff that we just weren't aware of, stuff that we hadn't thought about. And as frustrating and as expensive that that can be at times, it does reassure me that we're doing the right thing by actually getting it done. So this fire risk assessment, done for a building of that sort of size, so it's about 200 square metres, this building, give you an idea. It is 22 pages long. So yeah, if you think you're a competent individual who can put 22 pages of a fire risk assessment together, maybe, you know, have a second think about this because I'm looking at this document right now and there is a lot of information in it. There is information on every single page. So top of the fire risk assessment, there's a picture of the building. It then goes on to tell us what the fire risk assessment actually is and revisions of the risk assessment and the scope of the assessment and the methodology behind it. And then it goes on to talk about some of the general information, which is, you know, the the property ownership information, the address, who the assessor was. It actually gets verified by somebody else at the company. You know, so actually there's a second check on it, the date of it, whether or not any previous fire risk assessment has been seen. And it also suggests the date for review, which is probably a bit of a surprise to some people. And in this case, it says annually change of use or significant alterations of the premises. Now, I think reasonably, once you've got this done, so long as you aren't making any significant alterations to the premises, then you could probably do that annual inspection yourself. You'd essentially just make sure that everything that you've been told to do in this fire risk assessment is still being done. And I think you know, reasonably, if you're keeping information about the tests and checks that you've done to ensure that that is the case, then that would be okay. You don't have to repeat this whole fire risk assessment and get a third party in every single time. It goes on to talk about the occupants. It details the maximum number of occupants. It talks about the occupants at risk from a fire. So in this case, I've got 24 tenants in here, and it very clearly says, well, the number of people at risk here are 24, 24 sleeping occupants. No disabled occupants. If you had some disabled type of accommodation, uh, let's say ground floor with adjusted access, then that would be probably considered here as well. And then it goes on to talk about relevant fire safety legislation. So just, just to give you an idea, and I mentioned that this was drawn on a number of different things. The risk assessments and the sort of stuff that the assessor is considering here comes from these pieces of legislation. The Regulatory Reform Order, FSO 2005. Did you even know what that is? I honestly haven't got a clue. Fire and Rescue Authority. Health and Safety at Work Act 1974. Hazawa. <laughs> this is the abbreviation. They love these abbreviations. 5.4. Local authorities. That is literally referenced as additional legislation. See what I mean? 
This is the sort of legislation, I mean, the Health and Safety at Work Act 1974. If you want to bore yourself to sleep, go and have a look at that and try and try and work your way through that and try and figure out what you would need to do in a residential building off the back of that. So again, just, just delving into that question, are you a competent individual? Are you competent enough to do this sort of thing? Well, do you know what sort of regulations you're actually meant to be assessing against? I honestly wouldn't have a clue. Um, so the fire risk assessment then goes on to talk about the hazards in the building and the elimination and control of those. So it talks about things like electrical sources of ignition and more specifically things like whether they're installed correctly in the periodic inspection and testing, references PAT testing. It references policies regarding the use of portable electrical appliances. So actually, a good example there is, as part of our inspection process, we actually have uh, an area on our forms where we can capture information about visual electrical installation, not electrical installation, visual appliance inspections then goes on to make comments and hazards about electrical installations and things like that. As we work our way through the document, the assessor starts to attach pictures of certain things that they see and come across and important key pieces of information here. And this continues. Talks about cooking and more specifically, it even talks about filters and whether the filters are changed and cleaned regularly, suitable extinguishing equipment and whether or not that should be required it talks about lighting and um, emergency lighting and protective lighting systems. It talks about housekeeping. So as I'm looking at the fire risk assessment now, in this section, the assessor has actually attached a couple of pictures. They've attached a picture of one of the storage cupboards in which there is a boiler. And in that cupboard, we'd been storing a bit of paint that we'd you know, just been using to touch up the house. This sort of stuff happens dead easy. You know, sometimes it's not even us, it's our tradesmen. They go in, do a bit of work and think, well, there's half a can of paint left. I'll just whack it in the storage room. They also took a picture of one of the flats in which the tenants had decided to run a cable from their Wi-Fi route to the bedrooms at the back end. And this cable actually runs out of the kitchen living area, under the door, right down the hallway. I'm looking at the picture now. Up some stairs at the end of the hallway and then splits off to the bedrooms. This is a cable literally strewn across the corridor of the flat. And obviously they've taken a picture of this and then recommended that we need to make sure that the tenants are aware that this is actually fire risk and we need to deal with it and actually remove the risk altogether. So these sorts of things really do go into a lot of detail. There's actually a picture of one of the doors that is wedged open. Our tenants are continuously wedging doors open. It's one of those things that drives, that drives me mad. The picture here, they've wedged it open with a slither of carpet somehow. So it really does go into the detail. There's a lot of pictures in here and then references to what the risk is. And I'm going to whiz right down to the end of the document because this continues. But at the bottom, the assessor basically summarises all of their points, their findings and the advisories. And the advisories are put into actions required, what we call a corrective action report. And they're prioritised by the degree of severity, I guess the, the category of risk. So I'm going to read you some of them here. Action required. Rectify fire detection interlinking in apartment four. And that priority was high. So obviously they'd gone in, they tested the alarms. And even though we do regular sound testing of the alarms, they'd found a fault on one of them and they put that there as um, a corrective action that we needed to immediately rectify and a high risk activity needed to be done within four to eight weeks. 
Um, the next one, remove combustibles and trailing lead from apartment four corridor. Really specific. It actually, again, said that that was a high-risk item that needs to be dealt with within four to eight weeks. The next one, remove wedges from fire doors. Fire stop into storeroom, boiler cupboard and staircase access hole. In one of the boiler storerooms, they actually noticed that in the ceiling, there were some holes bored. Obviously, at some point when the development was done, someone had incorrectly bored a hole for some piping. And actually, that left a gap in the ceiling. What they wanted to, us to do was go in and put some intermission foam in and fill that home and then reduce that fire risk. They note on here that there were some remedial... I mean, this one, this was a big one, actually. Remedial work to 14-bedroom doors to FD30 standard. So what they were basically saying was, around all of our fire doors, while they are all fire doors, you know, they're all... They've all got the correct closers on, intermeshed st- strips and things like that. Some of the frames were a little bit gapped. They didn't like that there was a few mil on some sides of the doors and they wanted us to ease the doors and actually reduce that gapping. So we actually had to go into this one and do some minor remedial work to 14 bedroom doors, which was quite a big job, actually. One of the big ones in here actually was install an automatic opening vent to the top of each staircase. So there were a few items in this. The fire risk assessment itself cost £300. And then there were a number of items, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, about 12 items that we needed to do. On the whole, they weren't that expensive, but there definitely was, you know, about a thousand quids worth of stuff to do. And then there was also one that was install automatic opening vents to the top of each staircase. Now, we actually challenged this one because this was going to be really expensive and we didn't believe that it was required because there was actually a secondary fire escape route. And we got a second opinion on this. And actually that second opinion said we didn't need to do it. So it's worth bearing in mind that you can get second opinions, but just because you've got, if someone said on a professional document like this and a competent individual did this and said that you needed to do it and you didn't want to because it was going to be expensive, if anything ever happened, you'd been told to do it and you hadn't done it, it's not going to look good. You know, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. But actually, if you go to a second authority and get that professional advice and someone tells you you don't need to do it, then that's fine. You know, I think you're absolutely fine and within your rights to not have to do it. And that's what we did in this case to keep the cost down. So I think all in this exercise probably costs us about, about £1,500. The main issue, the real frustration to it is that it just takes time. All these corrective actions, these little things take time. And it's really important that you record what you've actually done, then get the evidence that it's been done because nobody's going back in to check it and sign it off. It's your responsibility. You need to evidence and keep those records for yourself to make sure that you've done it. So... There we go. Just a whistle-stop tour, really, of fire risk assessments. I know a lot of people get head up about them. I know that they can, at first glance, certainly look like quite expensive exercises that aren't necessary, particularly if you've just done a brand new reefer. But remember, while your electrician uh, who or whoever's installed your fire alarm system, your emergency lights, probably really knows that stuff really well. They don't necessarily know all of the other legislation to do with fire and fire risk assessment. And that's what's important here. It's kind of looking at the whole building, looking at it eclectically, thinking about the types of tenants that you've got in there, how they're actually living and behaving and managing all of that risk. And it is your responsibility. So my advice is get these done, outsource them to a third party, shouldn't cost you more than a few hundred pounds. This was, like I said, a big building. And then you probably will have a list of remedial works to do, just make sure that you get them done. If you can get this done, really, as you're finishing a refurbishment, that's probably the very best time you can do it. So you don't have to go in and disturb any tenants. If you're doing the refurb and 
you're asked to make some minor adjustments. You know, if you've still got guys working on site, that's a great time to do it. But you can't get this done mid-refurb. Now, your assessor's going to turn up and say, well, I can't assess this because the house isn't even finished. So, of course, there are fire risks everywhere. It's got to be pretty much at that point when it is finished. And, of course, you can do it when your tenants are in situ. So have a think about this. Have you done them for your property? If you have, have you done them in the right way? Have you outsourced them to a third party? Have you recorded all your remedial actions and your corrective actions? That's really important. Have you done this, but have you done them yourself? You know, if you have, ask yourself, are you confident in your ability to actually do them? And if you haven't done them at all, then just make sure that you really do go and do them. That's it for today's episode. I hope that's been a useful exercise. I hope you can employ that into your business. I hope that ticks a box for you. And yeah, I know it's not the sexy stuff, but this is the stuff that keeps us in business and it keeps everybody happy and it keeps everybody safe. So it's really, really important. That's it for today's episode. If you've got any questions about fire risk assessments, then the HMO community is a good place to come and ask. It's our free group on Facebook. If you haven't already joined, and I know I remind you every single week, come and check it out. There's loads of people, including myself, hanging around in the group, and we can help answer questions on things like this and anything else really to do with HMOs. And of course, if you want the nitty gritty, the detail, and if you really want to take things to a new level this year, then go on over and check out the hmoroadmap.co.uk. It really is your one-stop shop. It's got everything, including all of your legislation pieces. So if you want the detail and really understand how to do that, then it's all there and waiting for you. That's it for today's episode. Don't forget, I'll be right back here next time. So join me then for another installment of the HMO Podcast. (laughs) 